Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. This morning's reading is taken from Genesis uh, chapter 44, starting at verse 1 all the way through to chapter 45, finishing at verse 3, and that can be found on page 49 of the uh, Pew Bibles. A silver cup in a sack. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They'd not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found in the side of the mount, in the found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes, then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who was found to have the cup. 
But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing, only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord asked his, my lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And when we said to my lord, The boy cannot leave his father, if he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, Go back and buy a little more food. But we said, We cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, David. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you all. Um, lovely to see you if you're, you're back as a regular. Particular warm welcome to you if you're, if you're new, you haven't been with us before, you're visiting here. Lovely to have you with us. Now, I, rem- I wonder whether you remember the first day that you got your first item of branded sports gear. Uh, we used to call it stash. I don't know whether they still use that word. Um, and, you know, it's got the logo on it um, and a bit of embroidery, uh, you know, the name of your team. 
sometimes these days it, it's often personalized. Perhaps you remember that moment. It's the beginning of the school term and, uh, and it came with a batch of uniform and you sort of eagerly got it out of the pile or perhaps it was the first practice of the new season and, and the, the team, it all gets distributed and everyone proudly receives it and tries it on. Rowing was my sport and um, uh, rowing involves being spending mind-bogglingly large amounts of time, basically getting very wet and very cold. And so the piece of stash that you really want is one of these. Uh, this is what they call a splash top. And uh, I remember when we got this one, uh, we'd ordered it from a, 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 an up-and-coming company that we thought were really brilliant because they had this motto that we thought was really inspirational. And that the motto of the company that, 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 um, that delivered this to us was, was as follows. The journey is the reward. The journey is the reward. Now, if you're, if you're a rower, um, you, you find that deeply um, encouraging because, frankly, um, you're never going to get anywhere in terms of destination. Uh, you always have to come back to where you started and, in order to get the boat out. Uh, so, frankly, if there's no reward in the journey, then there's not a great deal of reward, full stop. Um, and if you're a kind of fitness fanatic, perhaps you can, you can identify with that. Um, the journey is the reward. Now, I wonder what you make of that as a, a motto. What about the Christian faith? Could we say the journey is the reward? Well, probably most of us would recognize that would be to seriously undersell the blessings uh, of the Christian life. If for this life alone we have hope in Christ, said the Apostle Paul, we're to be pitied more than all people. Then again, on the other end of the spectrum... It would be equally unfortunate to end up thinking that it's all about the destination and nothing else. To treat our faith as it was, it's just an insurance policy. Once you've got it, you can stick it in the, in the, uh, in the shelf and, and wait until uh, you die. And expect very little of it in between now and then. And that too is to miss the point. But in fact... Even though there's an amazingly glorious, incomparably glorious ultimate destination, God also has plans for us on the way. He has things he wants to do in us, ways in which he wants to shape us on our journey. And today I want to take just a few minutes with you to think about it through the lens of one example in this story of Joseph. Now, uh, it's an ancient story, and I wonder whether, as you were listening to it, uh, you know, you think, oh, here's a story of a distant land, distant times, distant culture. But God is the same. The God who ordained all these events is the same God that we, we worship. And actually, human beings are the same, too. And so in this story, we get a glimpse of what God might want to do in us. And I'm praying that as we do so, we're going to be motivated and excited to see that in our own lives. But before we do that, um, particularly giving you know, a little bit of heat in the room uh, and the confusing story, frankly, that gets us up to this, this point, I'm going to take you on a whistle-stop tour of the journey so far with the help of some stick men uh, on the screen. Okay, so here we go. Way, way back when, many centuries ago, not long after the Bible began, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, and he wasn't a fine example of a family man because he had favorites. 
and of his 12 sons, he preferred uh, those of his favorite wife, Rachel, Benjamin and Joseph. And what's more, the elder, Joseph, had some dreams. He made the mistake of telling all his brothers about them, and they hated him a great deal about it, and so they decided to lob him in a well. Next slide. At the last minute, one of the brothers, named Judah, saw that they were about to miss out on a chance to make some money out of their fratricide. So what they did is instead of living in the well, they sold him to some slave traders who carted him off to Egypt. That is slave traders, by the way, right up there. And then they came home and told his dad he was dead. Next, through a series of extraordinary circumstances, Joseph went through the ranks of Egyptian society to become appointed as Pharaoh's viceroy. With the exception of the Egyptian king, no one was equal to Joseph. And Joseph was given the task of administering Egypt's food program through a famine. That's what that tiny little crown on his head is supposed to indicate. Well, in time, this famine affected even his own native family back in Canaan. And so Jacob, the father of them, sent his sons to get grain. Only he didn't send all of them. He sent 10 of them. He didn't send his favorite son, who is green because he's young, Benjamin. After losing one of Rachel's sons, the apple of his eye once already, he already lost Joseph. He wasn't going to lose another of those sons. So what happened next? When they got to Egypt, Joseph met the brothers, though they didn't know it was him. And you need to know at this stage that Joseph was was devising a strategy to get the whole of his family to Egypt, where they'd be safe and nourished. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about that next week. That was the intended destination of their journey. And, and so he came up with a plan. This is how he decided to do it. First of all, he accused his brothers of being spies. Now, when they denied it, he said, I tell you what, I'm going to keep one of you back. Simeon's going to stay with me. Go back and bring this brother, Benjamin, who apparently you have, back to me to prove your story. And with that, he packed them off with their grain. So off they went. The brothers returned home. The famine continues. They don't want to go back because they need to take Benjamin and they know that's going to break their dad's heart. And Jacob can't bear the thought of letting him go. But eventually, food, the need for food pushes them to return. And so, how to persuade their dad? Well, Judah steps up. Judah reassures his father. Judah, remember, the same Judah who decided to sell his brother, didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to make some money out of human trafficking. That brother says, I will take care of Benjamin. On my life, let it be. So we come to Egypt the second time. Joseph meets them again. He's still not going to tell them who he is. And he supplies them with food and he inquires about their father. How's your father? He sends them off again. But this time he secretly plants his cup of divination in Benjamin's sack. And then disaster. On the road back home, Joseph's steward catches up with the brothers and stops them. You have nicked his cup. We definitely haven't. We definitely haven't. If anyone has, let them be put to death, they say. And actually, the rest of us will become your slaves. Now, actually, if you just think about it, for pause for a moment, that's quite an extraordinary thing for these guys to say. This band of brother murderers, they are beginning to think that they might be, might be having a bit of a comeuppance for what they've done in the past. Perhaps they have a new sense of humility. Perhaps there's a new sense of justice, that they want to put things right. But to everyone's disbelief, the cup is found. And to make matters oh so much worse, it's right there in poor, innocent little Benjamin's sack, the green one. 
devastated. The brothers slope back to Egypt. And that brings us to where we are today. When they get there, Joseph, who remember, they still don't know who he is, meets them. And verse 15 of uh, our passage, chapter 44, he says, what is this you have done? Here's the moment where we're going to see how the brothers have been changed on their journey. How God has changed them on their journey. Remember, journeys are usually about a destination. But there is a reward on this journey. Change. Now, how have they been changed? Well, first of all, they've been changed because they now see their wrongdoing. So they're all in Joseph's company, shuffling around, looking at their feet. And then Judah. Do you remember Judah, the guy who just suggested selling his brother off into slavery? Judah pipes up. And he says to Joseph, on behalf of all the brothers, verse 16, he says, what can we say to, the, to my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? And here's the bit I want you to concentrate on. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. He says, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Now, why did he say that? Think about it for a moment. It's actually a bit of a strange thing to say. Weren't they not guilty? The, the cup had been planted. It was no one's fault. Well, I think the only explanation is that God has been doing a much deeper work in these brothers' hearts. All this pinballing back and forth has made these brothers think on a bigger scale. God has he's put them through all of this to challenge them about their sin, to challenge them about what they've done to Joseph. And they've been pacing forth all this way, back and forth from Canaan to Egypt. And as they've been going, they've had a chance to think. All the stuff that they swept under this increasingly uneven carpet of time, it's boiled up again. What have we done? What does God think of what we've done? Where does that leave us? It's something a bit like conviction of sin. God has uncovered our guilt. Now let's pause there for a moment. Thank you for following the story so far. This is not a one-off. Do you remember Jesus had the same impact on people in his life? Do you remember the occasion when he sent out his uh, disciples to go fish again after a thoroughly unproductive night? They caught nothing all night, expert fishermen, remember? He says, no, go out again. Just chuck the net on the other side. Yeah, whatever, okay, fine. They did. And they caught a massive catch. And then here's what happened. A, 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 a switch in Peter's mind was flicked. And he looked at Jesus and he said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. What a curious thing to say. Peter hadn't, Jesus hadn't said anything about Peter's sin. In fact, he just helped him out. But Peter suddenly, because of this encounter with God, he suddenly felt uncovered for who he really was. And he was convicted of his sin. Now, I wonder if, if that's ever happened to you. Have you ever had the sense that the Lord is suddenly put his finger on something in your life and you suddenly see it with new eyes, something that you just thought didn't really matter before or you kind of put it under the carpet and then suddenly you're like, oh, no, I, I realize actually this is, this is not right. This, this thing that before I had no, I had no big issue with it. 
actually, I recognize there's something wrong here. That's, that needs to change. Well, I was thinking what, um, what I could share from my own experience on, on this, and, and I won't list all the occasions because we've got homes to go to and lunches to have and so forth. But um, here's just one example recently. I was, I was very preoccupied with all sorts of things one week, and Emily mentioned something the kids had said about me not taking an interest in, in what they were doing. And uh, I, I suddenly realized that I was failing to take interest in some really important things, things that were, were, were really important for my kids. And, and the excuse I'd given myself is, I'm just really busy. But that was a completely unreasonable excuse. It was an unwarranted excuse. I was just unwilling to be dad to my kids, and uh, it's pretty much only my role. And actually, perhaps I've done that many times without noticing it, without thinking it, but there's been no feedback. But in that moment, the circumstances all came together and somehow the Lord really put his finger on my heart there and said, you need to sort this out. And actually, that wasn't a particularly comfortable moment for for me to realize that. It, It was a moment of grace too because here the Lord is like, right here, you, you, you sort this out. This is going to be better afterwards. And you can come to me for forgiveness. And I love you. And it's time to change. I wonder whether you've, whether you've ever had that in your life. Or perhaps there's something that the Lord is doing in your life right now like that. For each of us, it's part of the journey of faith to come to these moments where the changes that we, we begin to recognize, some of the things that we haven't done right. So that's one part of what, what God is doing on this journey of faith for these, these brothers. But there's more. Uh, and the second thing that we see is that they're changed to live differently. So we're going to go back to our story, see how it plays out. Um, if you remember, the brothers volunteer to become slaves. They say, we are now, my Lord, slaves. We ourselves and the one who found the cup. Now, Joseph doesn't want to enslave his brothers. Um, uh, Joseph doesn't want anything like that. He wants to save them, not enslave them. And and incidentally, I wonder whether sometimes we make the same confusion with God. We think he wants to enslave us. He wants to save us. But Joseph's not going to explain that yet because he wants to prove that his brothers have changed. And so he tests them and he offers them an easier option. So he says, far be it for me to do such a thing. I I wouldn't enslave all of you. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave, and the rest of you can go back in peace. Now, notice what's happening here. Don't worry about all of you guys becoming slaves. How about you just land Benjamin in it? Okay? Benjamin, who, remember, is the last of Rachel's sons. He's another one of the favorites. So it's a bit like it was at the beginning of the story. So you know you're frustrated. Here's a great option. Get one over on Rachel's sons again. Land Benjamin in it like you did when you sold me off. And then just go happily back to your dad. It'll be fine. Now, we know what the brothers did the first time around, right? They're like, yeah, excellent. Brilliant. This is a great idea. What do they do this time? Well, up steps Judah, the brother seller. But what transformation? Instead of looking out for what he's going to make of this, he actually offers up his own freedom. So he says, now then, please let your servant, let me remain here as my Lord Joseph's slave in place of the boy. 
and let the boy return with his brothers. Amazing transformation. God has used this journey, this toing and froing, the journey of our lives. I wonder whether you've got some toing and froing that you can point back to, to make Judah and by extension the brothers generous. He's now putting his own needs second. And then, if that isn't enough, again, quite unlike before, he shows great concern for his dad. He says, oh, how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Well, that's pretty different, isn't it, to what it was like at the beginning. Do you remember? They're like, ah, how are we going to explain this to uh, our father? Quick, get his coat. Just dip it in some goat's blood and we'll go back and be fine. No, he's like, no, I, I can't bear to see my dad so sad. And so God has used the journey to make him compassionate. So do you see what's happened here? Through Joseph, God has changed the brothers. He's changed them to see their wrongdoing, changed them to live differently. And once that's happened, that seems that's enough for Joseph. Uh, so he's examined their hearts. The pretense can stop. He sends everyone out the, out the room, and then he reveals himself to them. Uh, final slide. It's me. And they're all completely and utterly astounded. Now, we've got one more sermon on this series, and we're going to see next week a kind of summary of the whole story and what, what God was doing in it all. But for today, I just want us to take this home. This Joseph here, is he's like a shadow, he's like a forerunner of Jesus. Joseph was part of God's plan to change his people. Jesus was the same. He prayed that we would be sanctified, that we would be changed. He asked the Father, his followers would be changed in our journey of faith. That was his prayer for me. That's his prayer for you. That in your journey of faith, you would be changed. So I wonder where that leaves you this morning. Perhaps you're, you, you just know it right now. You're in the middle of one of those moments, pacing up and down the desert. And you're like, okay, Lord, yeah, I get it. I get it. Perhaps the Lord is putting his finger on some area of your life. He's like, right, I've got something to teach you here. Have you, got, have you realized that's where you are? If you, if you have, have you got some friends you can talk to about that and say, look, I think this is what the Lord is saying to me. Will you help me with this? Perhaps you're looking for that transformation, uh, but, but actually you feel like, oh, I can't really get started, or how on earth is that ever going to happen? Um, I've been there so many times. Uh, you want to see more, but you don't quite know how to, how to go next. Well, you know, progress in the Christian life, it is rarely in a straight line forward. It's, you know, often a bit sort of roundabout. But there is hope. That's what the Spirit is there for in our lives. We, we come to Him and we ask Him change us and move us forward in obedience. Perhaps this morning is a time for you to come to the Lord and say, Lord, please give me your strength. I want to see you working in my life to change me and give me the power to do this thing that I so would like to do. Um, If you want to think more about that, you can listen to last week's midweek memo, which you can see on the YouTube, which again was stolen from um, Elliot's uh, talk last week about beach balls. You are a beach ball. The breath of God is in you. And wherever you go, he's with you to change you. Well, wherever you are in all of this, this change on the journey is what God wants to do. And the wonderful thing is that the destination 
is always still guaranteed. And so I want to close this morning by leading us in a time of uh, confession. But just before I do that, I'd love to just take a bit of quiet. Perhaps you bring to the Lord some of the thoughts that um, are bubbling up out of the scripture here this morning. And then I will um, lead in words of, of confession. So let's just take a moment of quiet. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.